hair has been such a huge factor in my life working in TV. It's everything. We've gone through where everyone had to have the blonde bob or the bob at least. It's in my contract even now that you, you know, your hair has to be reasonably similar. If you think about changing it, you've got to kind of let management know. Hello and welcome to Beauty Island, the beauty podcast that celebrates life and lipstick. I'm your host, Melbourne-based beauty journalist, Brittany Stewart, and each episode I sit down with a guest to ask them about the eight beauty products that have a special memory or meaning for them that they take to a desert island or beauty island that I am sending them off to. Maybe it's the product that reminds them of their mum the beauty product that defined their teens or the perfume that instantly sparks a memory of a special place or person. Along the way, we find out more about their life, career, and the people and events that have shaped them into who they are today. This episode, my guest is Nine News anchor and reporter, journalist Joe Hall. Now, if you're in Victoria, you may recognise her from the Nine local news bulletins, 6pm each weeknight. And she's been a familiar fixture in Australia's living rooms at nine for four decades this year, since starting as a cadet with the network in 1979. It's been, and continues to be, an incredible and enduring career. And Hall was actually also the first woman to win the prestigious Thorne Award, a national award for journalism, in 1990 for her report on the siege at Hawthorne Kindergarten. I went into the Nine Studios at Docklands, which is exciting, even for a working journo, to chat to Jo about her 40 years of TV journalism and how the attitude towards women has changed over that time, why her hairstyle is part of her contract, raising her four children as a single mum, and the surprising drugstore dupe she's found to replace her signature designer perfume after it was discontinued. And of course, we cover so much more as well. Joe was so interesting, inspiring and open to talk to. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already, rate five stars and if you have a spare 30 seconds, write a review. It means the world to me when I read your lovely comments about why you love listening to Beauty Island and helps other people find the podcast too. Now, over to Joe. Enjoy. Joe, welcome to Beauty Island. I'm very, very excited to have you here. Now, can you remember your first beauty-related memory, the first time that beauty came into your life? (laughs) Well, I had my mum, who was just the classiest, most beautiful lady. She was very elegant and everything she did, everything she wore. But I distinctly remember her when I was a really young child. She would always put this cream on and it was oil of Yulan, which is, I guess, kind of almost synonymous (laughs) with mums, a lot of mums anyways, especially of my generation. But um, And I couldn't wait to get my hands on some of that. So, um, yeah, that's my first beauty related product I guess as anyone who genuinely knows you in real life will know and for anyone that follows you on social media one thing that is very clear is how important family is for you (laughs) I post way too many photos (laughs) with my children I know (laughs) what was your childhood like growing up I had an idyllic childhood really I had older parents my mum was 38 when she had me and my father was four years older than her and they were just devoted to me but I had my brother was 17 when I was born and my sister was 12 nearly 13 I was just the baby sister and I guess I had another set of parents in them so I grew up with almost 
four adults virtually who completely doted on me. So to say I was spoiled was an understatement, but I was also incredibly loved and, you know, I idolised my brother and sister and my mum was my best friend, you know, throughout my whole life. Um, She died when I was 33, but I'd rather have hung out with mum than any of my girlfriends, any boys, (laughs) anything like that. So, look, I think I had a really happy wonderful childhood I grew up in Hawthorne I used to walk to school and I had dogs a couple of dogs and yeah it it was wonderful and one thing that I wanted to talk about early because I know you are a dedicated Collingwood supporter (laughs) and on Instagram you also shared that there's a special memory behind that because I believe your parents actually went to a Collingwood game as their first date so people say you're crazy mad Collingwood and yes I am now but I have really had no chance at all to not be (laughs) because my mum and dad met they worked at the same factory as factory workers Brighton and May they were matchmakers not love match but as in the ones you like (laughs) and she was 14 and he was 18 and their first date was to a Collingwood football game at Victoria Park and the rest is history I'm told I crawled around there in my nappies when I was young and you know as I've grown older of course it's you know the affiliation has only grown stronger obviously one of my great colleagues and friends Eddie Maguire is president of the club and I've got to know them and quite a few of the players well and um you know they've been very good to me Collingwood and and I like to think it's it's uh, I give back as well (laughs) now the second product on your list is one that you've said that you're not you weren't actually a great makeup user when you were younger in your Mm. teens but there is one product that I think is often the early introduction for everyone which is mascara Mm. can you tell me about that well, yeah, I don't recall wearing a lot. Certainly not as a as a schoolgirl. It wasn't a what wasn't at all really in in my life. I was um, a competitive swimmer. I did classical ballet for till I was about sixteen, seventeen, and of course, you know, with with ballet eyes and you know the the kind of definition of the eyes were, were good for concerts and things like that. And I think I, I just you know grew up thinking I had pretty good skin I didn't didn't have to worry about acne or too many pimples or things like that so the idea of putting foundation on never occurred to me you know not lipstick or anything like that but the idea of having long lashes for some reason whether it's cartoons you see or character tours or whatever it is I love the idea of that so you look the first thing I can recall getting was was mascara and wearing if I wore makeup at all consistently it I would say it would be uh, mascara and I pretty sure if it's been going that long but I think it would have been long com something like that <laughs> it's funny how I started a long com and now I've moved to maybe like Maybelline <laughs> <laughs> other people go there as it were <laughs> you studied journalism at RMIT did you always have a specific idea of what you wanted to be I did I did when I was about five or six I was a great reader I used to just sit in my room I wasn't kind of you know out playing in the park or whatever I would be sitting there reading I read I would read you know like eating I would read well I had book stands everywhere I would read walking to school so literally I just I, it, these days I'd be listening to podcasts that but I would just read all the time and I just thought one day I love reading so much and to me you know being able to write a book and having a book published and your words going into print was kind of that was my romantic version of of a wonderful career so I always wanted to be potentially be an author so I thought I can't do that from the get-go so what do I do I thought I could become a journalist so I'm writing constantly every day 
the idea would be I'd uh, uh, be employed in newspapers and, um, you know, I'd become kind of a famous uh, newspaper reporter with my byline up there pretty frequently and then I would, you know, transfer over to becoming an author. So that was my plan. It didn't go that way, but that was my goal from a really young age, I'd say. So you did end up at a newspaper for your first job, the Waverley Gazette, for 18 months. And then I believe it was your dad who actually saw the advert for a cadetship at Channel 9, which is where you still are. Mm. Was TV something you'd ever even considered? Not at all. I loved, as you said, working at the Waverley Gazette. It was just giving me such a good grounding in uh, in journalism. I was doing the course at RMIT, a diploma course it was then, not a degree, but in journalism. So hand in hand, the two were great. It was just very part-time. So I could go and at the course we learned, you know, your basic principles. If you tell a story and you answer the questions of what, where, how, why, when, then you'll have got your complete story. But at the newspaper I was learning how to edit the page, do headlines, write stories and, you know, I did my first feature there on a compulsive gambler and how it ruined his family life and, you know, I just loved it. Uh, I was working with some really nurturing, you know, journos and it was great. So I'd never even thought about TV because, as I say, that wasn't part of my plan. Um, but my dad saw in the newspaper Channel 9 advertising for cadets, which they would never these days at all. And there were three positions going. There was a, a, a D, two D grades and, and a cadet. And um, my dad said to me, you should go for this job. And I said, but I don't want to work in television. And he said, but you've only been for one interview. You know, it would be good experience for you. And I thought, oh, okay. So I did apply and uh, I was went in for the interview and John Sorrell, the then director of news, really gruff old guy, he said, you know, stick around, kid, spend the day here. So I ended up spending the day in the newsroom and um, it was a great experience. But I re- distinctly recall not walking around thinking, wow, this is television, you know, like kind of. Um, I wasn't starstruck or anything like that. But it was impressive. It was interesting. But the next day I was really happy to go back to the Waverly Gazette and do what I knew. Anyway, a couple of days later, um, five, by the way, hundreds and hundreds of people applied for these three positions. And um, a couple of days later, uh, the phone went and I answered it at home. And (laughs) this voice just said, this gruff voice, is your mother there? And I've got, Mum, it's John Sorrell. And put the phone to Mum. And she's gone, hello? And he's gone, your daughter got the job and hung up. (laughs) He must have thought I was too young to tell or he needed to let my mum know I was only 20. But, yes, and the rest kind of is history. Like I remember going out with mum and dad. They took me out for a celebratory Chinese meal that night and I said, I actually don't think I want to work in television. I don't want to do this. And mum was like, Joanne, this is something you can't not do. You can always go back to doing what you're doing. But this is probably a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and – just see where it takes you and here I am (laughs) and obviously I think it's been what nearly 40 40 years years in June this year incredible that you've been not only in tv but at nine Mm. the whole time as well what do you think it is that ended up hooking you in even though it wasn't part of your original plan Mm, it's a really good question actually I'm not entirely sure I think it grew over time I think there were things about it that I've never been asked that question before, actually. I think there were things about it that daunted me greatly. I hated because we were – technology was really like about to happen then. It was on the brink of. So we were starting to do live broadcasts. We were still shooting on film. So then we were transferring over to tape when I started, like that was all kind of happening. And then we also had the ability to go 
live, which was unbelievable. So I remember doing my first live cross and it was a fire at Warburton and my knees were shaking so badly. I actually thought I was going, you know, like faint. Um, but it was, it was those sort of things, the things that I actually thought, who am I kidding? I'm a 20, 21-year-old girl from the suburbs of Melbourne. <laughs> I went to not a private school, went to a public school. You know, are they going to find out I'm a fraud? What am I doing here? Like I really had a lot of self-doubt. Am I able, capable to do this? And lots of scary things like flying in helicopters and flying little fixed-wing planes to Country Vic and, you know, flying in a – we did in those days a lot. So, And I have a fear of flying. So here I was tremendously out of my comfort zone and I think that's the thing that was confronting. And here I was in this world where I didn't drink any alcohol. Everyone drank. It was kind of a, just a kind of different environment. It was a, it was a tough – I was one of only two – Female reporters here, it's even now. Um, in fact, we've probably got more women than men. So it was just a, 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 a difficult, challenging environment, I think, for, for a young girl, you know, and I was a young girl. Like I wasn't – I don't think I was very mature and so it was all daunting and I think, you know, I hated that. Well, not hated it, but I found that very hard at times. But I think in the finish – it's what I actually came to love and it took me a while to get there because one of the things I love most now is live TV and have done for many, many years. It's just there's nothing like it is live television because anything can happen and the idea of that is kind of, you know, what get, keeps you motivated now. And, you know, the, the telling the story as well. I mean, I was scared that I couldn't even do that properly but being able to tell a beautiful story write a beautiful script and things that I found hard I ended up coming to and obviously a lot of what you do now is largely anchoring but I imagine or I know that the, f- the first few years or a large portion of your career was out on the road mm. with the stories can you tell me about those first few years are there any stories or, or moments that stand out for you yes a lot actually and just in reference to your other question when I used to you know talk to my children about my job they used to say you know what's so cool about your job mum and I go what and they go well you know think about how many doctors there are in the world how many lawyers how many dentists how many newsreaders are there? And you think, hmm, that's actually a very good point. So it is a wonderful opportunity if you do get to become a newsreader because there aren't many, as my children always point out to me. But sorry, look, there, there have been so many stories from early days when I was on the road. Um, because I was kind of young and, you know, very feminine and, and I tended to get, you know, and as girls, women did in those days, you tended to get, you know, the flower shows and the colour stories and things like that, which I didn't mind and I really enjoyed. I probably didn't get a lot of hard news stories, but some of the hard news stories that I got in those days really stand out in my mind. I cover one of Chopper Reed's murders, Sammy the Turk at Bojangles Disco in St Kilda, and I nearly tripped over the body, got there before the police arrived. So that was a big deal. Wow. Yeah, in my 20s, you know, that like literally I nearly tripped tripped because the tape hadn't been put up. We arrived when the police got there. So that was really confronting. I covered Ash Wednesday and I was quite young down the west coast of Victoria. Ended up being evacuated to the beach with the rest of the town. Spent the night sleeping on the beach. I had to do my piece to camera in because I had this flouncy apricot and white polka dot outfit that I'd been doing another colour story on. And I was sent down there and had to wear the cameraman's jeans with an oki strap 
tied around me holding them up. He's black wind cheater and his sand shoes with tape, gaffer tape around them. That was my outfit. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I guess there's a couple of stories for you. But, but yeah, I mean, I guess consistently my, my stories were the, the – you colour pieces. Oh, another one just – quickly when kiss came out here um they were huge massive and we stalked out the hotel in the city where they were staying and i got the first pictures of gene simmons without makeup on because he walked he walked down and got out of the elevator and i was standing there with a crew and of course seven ten nine everyone had cameras there abc and we ended up going to the coffee shop and the cameraman sat in the coffee shop right near where Simmons was and he had the ca- his camera on the lap and his lap like that just looking the other way and he was actually rolling on him so we got the world exclusive <laughs> I love that you share so many pictures from those early days um, and I did notice that in a lot of the early ones particularly like the first headshot that you posted you have thicker wavy brunette hair rather than the blonde I actually have. was going to post one I'll show you when we finish and it's exactly that um, and that's the thing when you grow up on TV you grow up older and old on TV you know you've got a whole record of your life and how you looked and you hear your voice when you and people in our library and archive they'll come out and go Joey look at this we found of you and it's like oh my god (laughs) (laughs) but yes I did have my hairdresser says it's not brunette but to me it is it's brown like I think it's even dark brown in some shots but she says it's actually dark blonde but it definitely was to me brown here so it was darker and I can't remember at what point I think it was around the time that I started to do a bit of anchoring and certainly read the occasional like evening bulletin like late evening update we had late newses in those days and you know even the occasional weekend news I think I started to go lighter and the lighter I almost became a bit addictive because when you go from I don't know if your listeners would relate to this but when you go from dark hair and then you start to put a few highlights in it and go a little bit lighter and a little bit lighter and people give you compliments your hair looks great. You think, oh, I might just pop a bit more in there. <laughs> and suddenly you end up blonde. <laughs> but I guess for me, the other thing was because hair has been such a huge factor in my life working in TV. It's everything. We've gone through where everyone had to have the blonde bob or the bob at least. It's in my contract even now that you, you know, your hair has to be reasonably similar if you think about changing it you've got to kind of let management know hair is a, and I understand that it's a it's a, a huge part of the job and I think you know when it's I was just saying to the girls it's pretty rare I guess that someone's you know had their hair and makeup done for at least 30 years five days a week you know, where you have your makeup put on but you also have your hair teased or blow-dried teased tonged curled or straight sprayed to within an inch of its life (laughs) so you think oh maybe going blonde is a bit of a risky process when that's happening but in actual fact it's been good for me because your your roots are less obvious growing out so it's kind of a little bit less maintenance I mean you obviously still have to go off and have it colored pretty consistently but I find that the coloring and the treatment that the my um, hairdresser uses it really kind of nourishes my hair and um it's a wonder I've even got hair when you think about <laughs> all of that. <laughs> and while we're speaking about hair on your list, you do have two products that you kind of have mentioned that help your hair <laughs> keep in good shape after all the, the teasing and, and tonging, which are the Joko hair products and the K-Pak Intense Treatment. Tell me about those. Well, they're just good. I've found that they really suit my hair and I guess everyone does. It's a bit of trial and error. And when you're doing things, so you would normally, I think, but, we, you know, the, the head of makeup, 
um, always at nine as you know all the people that go in all the talent you know she's very caring about how their skin is going and and what their what their products are using so I just found that you know I think I think my hair responds well to using a good product fairly regularly and then occasionally going okay I'm, I'm going to use a something else just for a week or whatever so I've kind of pretty well used Joico but then because I just found it, it it's great for colored hair and the k-pack is just awesome to it like it literally looks like you've had another color after you use it every fortnight but I just yeah I love those products and I have used them for years and years and you mentioned some of the stories you covered early in your career now obviously having worked four decades this year in TV you have covered some of the biggest stories of the years just to name a few I think it's September 11th Bali bombings Boxing Day Tsunami Ash Wednesday as you mentioned and the more recent Black Saturday bushfires is it hard not to get emotional when you're you're telling those stories it is I mean most often on a day-to-day basis you know you've been there you're doing your job so you're not but I would say potentially for me, now doing five days a week, an hour bulletin, which is much the same as what you see on the Metro News. We just have a five-minute five local window for regional stuff. I would say that at least once a week, I would say consistently, I will get tears in my eyes. Like I'll be moved to tears watching. Um, so, for instance, it was, this week it was that story about the poor man who lost his wife and daughter in the Sri Lankan terror attacks. Um, I just found that, you know, gut-wrenching. Um, so there'll be stories like that but in terms of your world events you do probably go home to carry them home with you and I can distinctly remember for instance with the Bali bombings there was one thing that I you know carried with me home and I was really stressed on was this I there was this just one shot or a couple of shots actually in a, a story in I think we did that we would have covered that Hitch and I actually read double-headed news one-hour newses for a, a consistent period of time when during the bombings this little boy is only about four or five and he was sitting on a bed and he had his head bandaged he's obviously been separated from his family and he was sitting there on the bed in hospital saying he didn't want to die I don't want to die and I just remember that breaking my heart and I went home cried all the way home and I thought I have to get in touch with our reporter there to find out what happened to that boy. Was he okay and did he survive? And he did. It's nice when there are not necessarily happy ending with that situation, but those happy endings to certain Exactly. So I think, you know, obviously they do affect you. I think they, for being a reporter on the scene in those events, it's much worse when you, you know, you, you witness firsthand. But um, delivering it, because it's your job and you're doing it every day and it is kind of almost your responsibility not to, to keep it together, I guess. Similarly, when that's something is hilariously funny, you know, you've got to keep it together. But you, it's hard not to be moved. We'll talk a bit more about TV makeup. Obviously, you're getting it done five, five days a week. But the fourth product on your list is more related to kind of taking it off, which is the Dermalogica cleanser. Can you tell me about? Well, for years and years, we have had Dermalogica in um, in the makeup department and TV makeup. Obviously, as you'd realise, in the, not only the bases but the eye makeup is very it's heavy and it's um, sometimes waterproof mascara, waterproof things because you can go out in the wind and you know if you're outside broadcast or anything like that. 
Um, it's got to kind of stay on and, and not be moved. So it is hard to shift. And I just, I've found personally the Dermalogica is great. It's the ultra calming cleanser and just every night going home, that's the one thing I do do is I remove every skerrick of makeup. But that gets it off and you, you don't have to use a different eye cleanser or to, to get your eye makeup off. The ultra calming gets your base. It doesn't sting your eyes. It's just a really, really good product, I, I think. I can actually tell you though how we did switch from Dermalogica to other skincare ranges when when, uh, Hamish Blake came in one day not so long ago and he was being made up for something and he was like horrified. He said, what's all this Dermalogica stuff? I'll show you a skincare range. (laughs) And he went home and told his wife, Zoe Foster Blake, who of course has got go-to skincare that she's been hugely successful with, just a great couple. She promptly sent in boxes of the stuff <laughs> for us to try. So yeah, we do have a lot of uh, go-to skincare range now and I've just almost to the last of my little kit of things that, that came with, you know, some just wonderful like the little pads that you remove your makeup with. And Those exfoliating pads, they ex- are great. Yeah, they're awesome. And also the um, the skin masks, you know, the <laughs> you can those. get it on your face and you look really weird. But, um, yeah, so all of her things I love. The oil, beautiful. It's a, it's a great range. Mm. You have four children. Yes. Reese, Tyson, Emerson and Vin. And you had your first child when you were 23. And I read in an interview you did with Now to Love a few years ago that you thought your that getting pregnant at 23, obviously you'd been at nine for two or three years, meant your career was over. As you said, no woman starting a family and came back to work. It just wasn't done. But it was your mum who actually said, no, you can do this. How do you look back on that, that now? Got pregnant by accident, so obviously it wasn't planned. And I was really, like, shocked and I was terrified because by this stage I was really enjoying the job and I was thinking, gosh, this could I could make a career out of this and I could be here a really long time. And the idea of a child was just very daunting. I was still a child myself. Like I was 23 going on 16. If you saw photos of me pregnant with him at the time, you would think, oh, gosh, he's just still at school. But um, I was just very young. I didn't think I was ready to have, have a child. And I just the impact on my career. And I remember talking to mum about it and saying, like, you know, because like, like, as I said to you, like, look, I looked around and there, you know, there were women employed at nine, but I didn't know of anyone. There wasn't anyone that had a baby, was had gone and had a baby, and then returned to work. That just didn't happen, especially not in TV. So my mum said, you know, when I told her, she said, "Don't be ridiculous." She said, "You know, women can have it all these days." And I said to her, "What woman? What woman has it all?" She said, "Don't be stupid. I'll help you." Now that was great because I did have her to help me, and you know, she it was a bit of a bit of trailblazing, I guess, in those days. And I actually came back to work. When he was just three months old, my boss actually said, Joey, there's a story that's right up your alley. It's a Collingwood footy club. <laughs> and I remember coming back and doing a story at Collingwood. That was my first story back after having Reese. But uh, I, it, it was just a, a great concern to me. And if I hadn't had mum and, you know, dad even helped as well, but helped her. And my big sister too, With as my children grew up as I lost mum when Tyson was six months old so my sister then stepped up to the plate to help me with the others she was a twins nanny so without my mum and sister I know there's absolutely no way I would be here talking to you today because they enabled me to do that because it just wasn't like I mean there was probably childcare and nanny kind of but it wasn't kind of known or it just wasn't a thing really so um, without them I couldn't have I couldn't have you know 
come and come back to work confidently too as a mum. I mean, you know, with with mum leaving my, you know, Reese, my eldest, with her and with um, leaving my twins with my sister, it, it was like, you know, I could leave and be so confident that they were so loved as almost as much as if I was there, you know. So um, you're going off to work with a light heart. Mm. And this was in the early 80s. Yes. Obviously now, as you said, the dynamics of the workplace have changed. There's at least an even number, if not more, women. Mm. Do you see... And job sharing and they all go off and have babies. Do you see a difference now? Complete difference because, you know, I don't think there is that fear anymore. I don't think women need to, nor should they kind of worry. Now, not that there was any concern about me having a baby as such, but, you know, it's just the own you know, fear I created myself. But these days there's, you know, there's not that. There's no risk of a, a, per, a woman losing their job. Job sharing, you know, which in I, I can't remember which child I was, you know, talking to people saying, we should have a childcare centre at Channel 9 and we should be able to have job sharing. Well, of course, now we don't have a childcare centre, but that's not beyond either realms. You know, I know a lot of work, some workplaces do. When I say it's changed, it has in that we've got a lot of reporters are at the age of, of becoming mums and having second child and all of those kind of things. And although I mean, my day was very different, but I could never say that Channel 9 didn't embrace my family. So by sort of saying, oh, it's so different now, it isn't and isn't. It's just that we've got more women. More women have a kind of, you know, go through their career knowing, oh, I'm going to have a baby eventually and it won't impact my job. <laughs> I'll be able to go back whenever I feel like it, and I might be able to job share till I feel like going back full-time. That scenario now, that didn't exist with me. But in terms of how Channel 9 embraced me having a family, they were terrific about it, always have been. Um, my children have been welcome in the newsroom, you know. The twins have crawled around, you know, <laughs> the news studio, and then when I read 13 years of weekend news, I mean, they would spend a lot of weekends with me at work once they got to an age and they would colour in or they would, you know, they'd bring their toys or they'd bring things in that would amuse them. So the nine have always been incredible about supporting me in terms of my family. Because I suppose the kind of a lot of the, the worries that you had in those in with your first child was kind of not workplace specific, just so like socially. Totally. Was, that was more the attitude. Exactly, exactly. And look, I think um, I was about to say, I think there was a little bit of a few teething problems in terms of pregnancy because they just kind of weren't used to. A woman being pregnant on TV, for instance, um, these days we have pregnant weather presenters. And when I read you know, the news with the twins. I mean, Tony Jones would do sport. And he'd go, Joey, you know, I better sit in with you for headlines because you look like you're about to have this baby any minute, you know. Like I worked right up until as long as I possibly could and you could visibly see that I'm pregnant as probably that happened with Tyson as well. But with Reese, it was a bit more unusual. So my boss was, um, you know, when you go out to do that interview with the so-and-so, do you think you could just position your notebook so that it's covering your tummy? Because <laughs> uh, we just maybe – do we show the viewers? <laughs> it was that creative. It was, <laughs> it was like a bit of that dilemma. They didn't know. It wasn't that they were being discriminatory. Just they just, new territory. It was just new territory and no one really knew, you know, how to tread. The next product on your list is one that I, th- I believe you wear every day at work, which is an Armani base. 
product. Can mm. you tell me what it is and why you like it? We use MAC, obviously, um, cosmetics we've used for years and years. They're just a wonderful brand of makeup. The colour range and their products are just excellent. So we do we do use a lot of MAC and, um, you know, MAC is always a base that we can go back to and it's pretty well universal in terms of the people that, that it works on and suit and whatever because obviously you've got a whole range of different people like Pet Hitchner and Eddie have more sensitive skin so, you know, they have different kind of products but um, MAC is a great staple. But, you know, we as I say, you know, our head of makeup is constantly experimenting and um, the Amani base I love because as you get older, you know, you don't want a heavy base. You don't want it sort of, you know, defining your lines or that kind of thing whereas the Amani base is light. It's you can see your skin through it, but it still gives lovely coverage. It's a good color range, so you can match match specifically between you know if you're a seven between a seven and an eight, seven point five, or you can mix the two. You know, so you get the color that you want, the consistency, and that kind of thing. So it's just a great base. Now, as you've mentioned, your your mum, your dad, and your older sister have all been an incredible support and inspiration to you, and as you said, have also been such a big part of your working life as well for even, you know, noticing the ad that got you the job at Channel mm-hmm. 9 to enabling you to have the incredible career that you had. And I know that your father passed away last year, which I am so was so sorry to hear the news. What's the greatest piece of advice or lesson he taught you that you kind of always hold dear? Oh, he had so many wonderful pieces of advice. He would, and especially, he used to criticise me. He said that my generosity is my worst quality. He thinks I was, he thought I was a wonderful parent, but he thought I was way too generous and I spoiled my children too much. When I mentioned about my mum and um, my brother and sister, they all spoiled me. Dad was kind of a little bit tougher. I mean, I knew how much he adored me, but he was perhaps a little bit tougher, but he was just you know, always critical of me. Oh, you're too good to them. You're way too good to them. You know, they don't, you appreciate your mother. And he would say that all the time. So not that I always took his advice, but I always try and hear his voice, you know, in the back of my head when I was, you know, as a parent, you always, you know, guess, second guess yourself, you know, I would think, oh God, what would dad say about this? So there was those kind of things that he would, you know, criticize me for or remind me of. He was always in awe of how long my longevity in a television industry he used to say to or constantly oh, darling you're just outlasting them all <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was very 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 proud of me I mean no matter what he would tell everyone and so many people have told me this whether you know they met him on the car Olympic car park he was worked as a supervisor there for years or he would have the Foxtel repairman come around and he would tell you know, I'm Joe Hall's dad. <laughs> <laughs> and, then the, they, and then he'd see all the things on the walls, the posters and the things that dad would have had framed of me. So he was, you know, my biggest fan. But he used to give my children, and I said this in uh, the speech at his funeral, he used to give my um, children advice. He told them all that there are things in life that are the most important. Your mother, your health and your bank account. Not necessarily in that order. <laughs> and they've all taken it on board. <laughs> Very practical. And speaking of, of the longevity of your career, in interviews and, and pieces that I've read on you, a lot of the time is pointing out what a tra- trailblazer you are. And I think you did do an interview. It was a profile feature in The Age called The Art of Survival When You Were 40. <laughs> this is now 20 years later. I mean, is that something that you really think about? That you have kind of 
defied the idea of as as you said tv present female tv presenters used to have a used by date almost i find that story funny about um which the age did do this love i've got a photo one of my favorite photos that was ever taken of me you know this stylized photo with you know it was black and white it was in a studio with a wind machine i felt like britney spears <laughs> and it was kind of you know i had the man suit on and it was just it was great but i when i saw that headline the art of survival and i thought i'm 40 but you know, that's that's kind of how we lived then. There was, you know, I, I very much kind of talked about use by date. No one kind of knew when that was, but men didn't have it. Like, you know, they were just old men and let's take maybe some unattractive men on TV, <laughs> you know. But um, women, it was definitely very much that's what we thought. And I know I, I'm, I'm divorced now, but I remember with my husband at the time, he kind of used to, you know, be worried that I was the breadwinner and that I was the one that earned the most money, if you like. And I used to say to him, I work in television. It's got no longevity. Like one day this is going to be done, this will be finished, and then you'll be supporting the family. It'll be your turn to step up to the plate kind of thing. Um, and we're a partnership, this is kind of a marriage, and that's what will happen because I thought that's what would happen. So that, and that was the thing, you know, hey, you were really surviving, <laughs> not just working and performing, but you were surviving if you were still there at 40. But it was almost like after that article was done and in the, you know, the really kind of recent ensuing years, things really did change. But I guess it did evolve over time. Like we, you know, like in the States, you didn't start anchoring till you were, when you were a woman, till you were 40. Um, we started to, that was, that was kind of a little bit more of, well, certainly you had to get a bit of age and a bit of experience under your belt before you got to that stage. But as I grew up and grew older and, you know, years went by and people now go, you know, what do you think about this? I think, mm, I don't think there is a use by date. Like, you know, and you look, I look at my peers and colleagues around me, Liz Hayes, Tracy Grimshaw, Lisa Wilkinson, Sandra Sully, Karen Kennelly. You see women on TV now all around you that are as old as me and some quite a bit older. So there's no longer an issue or something that we do discuss. But at when exactly that changed, I don't know. When you think about your proudest achievement, obviously you've had this incredible career. If you had to, to pinpoint the single thing that you are most proud of in your life, would it be work-related or would it be something personal? Oh, totally personal. Mm. I think being a mother is the, definitely the role that has defined me most of all without question. They are everything to me. Like if I lost my family, I'd have, I'd have lost everything. If I lost my job, I'd be sad, but I'd still have my world. Being a parent, I think, is the hardest job in the world. Being a successful parent <laughs> is almost impossible. <laughs> and I just find it like so challenging, uh, but so rewarding and I guess when you know people meet my children and I know you know they've all done naughty things and we've had our moments and I'm still am having a few moments but <laughs> do you know when say you know my eldest like like my eldest it was very close to my father Reese, and he came back for the funeral and last time because he's been living in London for um, five years and Amsterdam a couple of years before that so say Tony and Hitch and um, you know some of my oldest colleagues have known my children for years and known Reese for years they could not believe when they Reese kind of saw Reese and hadn't seen him for you know quite a long time just how they were blown away by 
he is such a good man. I'm so proud of the man Reese has become and, you know, just kind of to think I've had a part in that. He makes you like he, when you're around him, he, <laughs> he makes you want to be a better person yourself. You know, he's that good a man. And, um, you know, I just think, gosh, I raised him. I was, I'm his mum, you know. And I guess that's what happens when all of my children do something that, you know, does make me proud. And, you know, I look at them and think, gosh, I've raised him. I've raised him. So, you know, that that that's they're the moments. I actually had coffee with my youngest, Finn, who's the younger of the twins by a few minutes. And he's working in a cafe near Parliament and he's always texting me, Mum, call in on your way to work, call in on your way to work. So I went and had coffee with him two days ago and he's just chatting away about life. And oh, I need to get it more independent. I guess I've got my superannuation and he's, <laughs> he's talking about his girlfriend and, you know, I might move out next year. I said, you really think you'll be able to afford that, Finn? He's gone, well, you know, I said, utilities. And he said, oh, no, isn't that all in the rent that you pay? And I thought, oh, no. <laughs> but I left him and I was driving to work and I thought, gosh. So I te- sent him a text saying, I love you, Finn. Yeah, I'm so proud. You're a good man and a good son. And, you know, they're the moments I think, gosh, that's that's success mm. to me. And also I think that it's important to point out for people who might not know that I think for, for a large portion of that you were doing it single-handedly mm. as well. I married very, very young and Reese's dad was a great guy but um, you, I was just very immature and well, I wasn't ready for it. As I said, I was, you know, I married when I was 21. I was kind of going on, you know, 16 really and becoming a mum the same. And then uh, I was married for... 14 years I think to my second husband as a father of Tyson and the twins but for a large part of you know their lives yes I've I've, you know been on my own and and just with the help of you know family and that kind of thing of raised them so but I'm very much I'm really I'm probably a control freak so I'm not one to kind of shirk my responsibilities in that regard like I really probably I probably do not smother them but I'm I need to know when to let go. I think I'm probably a little bit too much in their lives, but, you know, they seem to love me in there, so I don't know. (laughs) The seventh product on your list is eye drops. (laughs) Tell me about what's going on there. Well, I just – I remember years ago when we were in Bendigo Street, Richmond, and the the sale of the century and those kind of shows were on – the models were really into eye drops. And I'd watch them and I know – Supposedly, a few of them became addicted to them, not that I even knew you could get addicted to eye drops. And I don't know whether it's over the years. I don't, I'm don't. i not really a, an allergy kind of person or hay fever or anything like that. But over the years, my eyes have definitely become more sensitive. Now, I wear glasses for, not for auto cues, auto cues fine, but for um, reading and computer and phone stuff. So I just don't know whether my eyes have, I just had them recently tested, you know, just they're becoming a little bit weaker or whether it's, you know, heavier makeup or quite what it is, but my eyes are way more sensitive than they've ever been. And um, even to like to start, the day so I have some at home that I use in the morning before I leave and then I'm my makeup call time isn't until 1 o'clock so I some days I actually can't wait to get to makeup because the first thing I do is put the eye drops in so the girls say I am addicted to them that's for sure but I just find them so soothing and there's nothing worse than feeling like your eyes are irritated and sore and dry but there is one particular brand I won't name that that um, that make them very very white. But I don't think they're good to be used <laughs> on a consistent basis. <laughs> Not too frequently. No. Now you have incredible style. 
obviously on screen, but also off screen as, again, I keep coming back to your Instagram, <laughs> um, but anyone who follows you knows. Um, is the art of dressing in fashion something you genuinely enjoy? Because, I mean, one outfit that particularly stands out is that incredible pinstripe suit that you wore to the races last year, which was just incredible. Well, it's funny you say that because um, I've always loved fashion and, you know, I've kind of, like, I love Madonna when I was younger. So I would go to work in my kind of prim and proper work outfits, but then I, at home, you know, like we'd go out like for a night out or whatever and I'd dress like Madonna. <laughs> so I've always kind of and love just the fashion magazines and, you know, and looking at the trends and clothes and Audrey Hepburn is my icon like I just think I love her for her style and everything about that woman um but particularly her clothes and I think you know to me she personifies fashion and endless glamour and grace because you could take any virtual outfit of Audrey's that she wore in any film and you could walk out on the street in it today and no one is going to look at you like what she got on she's going she looks great because it's that enduring and that lasting, you know, from the simple black sleeveless dress and all of those kind of things. So, yes, I, I do love fashion. And obviously, you have to look good on TV. It's part of the job. And so fashion is a big part of that, your presentation. So we have wardrobe allowances and I have a wardrobe at home and a wardrobe here. So you've got to look good on camera. And then there's a wardrobe for out in the road, which is different again. And then, of course, you know, if you go to – an event, you know, you're emceeing an event or it's a fashion festival function or whatever. You want to look good. You want to, and I love dressing up for those things. And we've got an amazing stylist here at work who, who is just got such a good eye. I do, do love elegant and classy, but I love a little bit of an edge here and there. And that's kind of, I would that in three words is all that description is my fashion style, I guess. And when it came to the outfit you're referring to, which was for Oaks Day. I went to Derby Day last year and, of course, I wore this beautiful black jumpsuit that Kate found for me off ASOS or somewhere quite, you know, reasonable. And then I got invited to Oaks Day and I knew that because my favourite day of the racing carnival, um, my mum's ashes are on on the roses at Flemington Racecourse, so that's uh, my thing to do to go and say hi to her on Oaks Day because she loved going to Oaks Day in Flemington. And I knew it was coming up and I thought, okay, I want to do something and – Effie Katz is uh, on Instagram. Your listeners can see she is she had a bit of a rough start to, in the fashion industry, but she was just starting to kick goals when she approached me on Instagram and said, "I would love to make you something to wear to the races if you want." And I thought, oh, and I told Kate, our stylist, about it, and she said, "This is great because I think this she's going to be huge. This woman." And sure as eggs, she is massive now. She probably wouldn't have time to make me a suit now. But she said, I don't I didn't care. And at the time, these powder blue, powder pinks were all, you know, the stiletto pants and things like that. By Derby Day, by Cup Day, I kind of was thinking everyone's going to have done that. And if I saw one more of those suits on Instagram, I would have died. So I kind of really wanted to do something different, a suit but different and I saw A Simple Favour this movie with Blake Lively in it to me that movie was what would you say like Audrey's movies was like it was defined by her wardrobe and I watched every scene and every outfit she had in that and was just blown away because those suits were so strong but they were really feminine at the same time she walked out in one suit and it had it was literally Navy blue pinstripe, baggy pants with pockets. She might not have been quite that baggy, but and she had the vest and she had these cuffs that were separate. So it was just bare arms and just the cuffs. So I met Effie and she was saying, 
powder blue. I think the powder blue will really suit you. I said, do you want to be adventurous here, Effie? What do you think about this? I saw this movie. Can we Google this character? Can I show you what I'm thinking? And we just kind of workshopped it and she got it up on Google and she's looking at it and the more she looked at it, the more excited she started to get. So that she said, we've got the cuffs here and then she's going to make the – like she literally measured every single part of my body so that everything fitted just completely perfectly. She rang me the next day and said, I want to go really big, massive baggy pants. And I've gone, okay, all right. And we did the three-piece pinstripe suit but she made this little shirt that just connected to the vest and I went and picked it up and I was actually beside myself because I thought, I'm going to Oaks Day, the most feminine day of the carnival. I could not have anything more masculine if I tried. So I came back to work and I said to Kate, I'm deep breathing. I'm so worried about this. She said, see what you mean, but it's okay. We're going to feminize it. So she said, red shoes so you can see your toes. And she said, let's do this little bag. And it was a little cute little um, red handbag. And then she had sent from Morgan and Taylor these a whole little, lot of different hats. And I kept, kept admiring this one in then and had was a boater hat with red and navy in it. I wanted to wear it. And I said, can I wear that hat? I'm finally going to get to wear that. She said, that's perfect. So we literally feminized this masculine outfit. And it's uh, the favorite thing I have ever worn in my whole life. I'd love it. And I love the fact that it was kind of my idea and Effie made it and it was just a, and then Kate kind of feminised it. So I couldn't have had more fun doing that and then that day just wearing that suit and it was just the best experience. And I will pop a link so you can see the picture because you have to, to do it justice. The one of me and Effie in her lemon suit, that's one of my favourite photos I've ever posted as well. As we've mentioned, one of the perks about working in TV is the access to such talented stylists and makeup artists. Are there any particular tricks or tips that you've picked up over the years? Do you tap into that resource? I do. And I think that when you sit in makeup and you have makeup put on you every day and then by different people like we've got three full-timers here but obviously freelancers as well and everyone does makeup different some will start with your eyes some will do your base first everyone does it slightly differently then everyone also does your face on a consistent basis and as they should they pick up on what your flaws are and how to correct those flaws or you know how to I love a good strong eyebrow for instance I've got quite heavy lids so I need good coverage and I don't like contouring contouring I think is something that young girls do so shimmer and stuff like that on eyes would only highlight my flaws so I like matte eyeshadow Um, and it's been trial and error and also just a wash of an eye on eyelid and things like that if that's what you're referring to and that's just what you work out over the years and you know for instance I've had makeup artists that I've loved really loved and got on incredibly well with and they love doing contouring and whatever and I'll see it on the person next to me I think oh god I wish I could have that eye but I can't it's just not going to work on me and they'll do these contour and I'll go I don't think so and they look and think "Mm, no it doesn't work so you've just got to um I think I've always been very particular about line 
I use Spice Mac. God, if they stop baking that, I will be. I don't know what I'll do. <laughs> the girls say I could do have my eyes shut and I would know a Spice Lip pencil from any other pencil because I know the consistency, everything about it. But I think it goes with every colour. And even if you're wearing a light one, just draw it in a bit. But I'm very, very fussy about my lip line. I do my own lip. That's the only thing I do. I used to do all the makeup artists knew they could do anything they want, but I would do my mascara. And I would do my lip line. So no makeup artist has ever done a lip line on me because I'm very fussy about it. And also mascara. But these days I don't care so much about the mascara. They do that. But I always do my own lip line. So I'm pretty fussy about how that's put on. And I'm fussy about wearing it, which I don't know if lip line is a thing that most people do. I know I went up to Sydney for a photo or a publicity shoot. The makeup artist at the TCN newsroom said, that's so weird you wear a lip line you and Lisa Wilkinson are the only ones that do so maybe it's not such a common thing these days but um, I'm very big on lip liner the final product on your list is the perfume that has a special memory for you which is so pretty by Cartier can you tell me about that when Reese was little my eldest he was probably so we're talking about 30 years ago um, he was probably about six or seven we went to New Caledonia for a holiday went to Club Med there and I remember I met this quite a lot of international holiday makers there and I met this woman she was a Parisian jewellery buyer and her name was Carolyn. Oddly enough, that's my daughter-in-law's name who's having a baby and I'm going to be a grandma in the middle of the year. But So Carolyn was a wonderfully chic woman that I got on really well with and we dined with a couple of nights and had a drink with and I just thought she was so unbelievably chic. I really admired her style and everything about her and I loved her smell. And she had she wore So Pretty by Cartier. So when we left the resort and were flying back home, I bought it duty-free and literally that's what I wore for the next virtually three decades and so much so that people would it was so much my signature I never knew anyone else that wore that perfume and people at work would go I knew you'd arrived I smelt you in the lift (laughs) and I'd love the idea of that that you know that I had my own kind of scent and then about five years ago they stopped making it can you imagine my world caved in And I went into the city to the Cartier shop in the city and I bought every bottle they had left, which I think was about six or seven bottles. And then over the years, my son, Finn, has will look on eBay and um, or just Google and think, yeah, you can can get a bottle here and there. So I've still managed to to get it, but finally I had to actually switch over. And people say they like my perfume now oh, that is nice. but I discovered that in a goodie bag when I went to a lunch and we got a lot like some goodies to take home and it was Delta Goodrum's perfume that is a lovely one and everyone mm. says the same now your perfume is so beautiful what is it and I say it's Delta Goodrum so I now mix Delta Goodrum with so pretty with Cartier when I can find a bottle <laughs> somewhere in the world and have it sent to me but yeah just I loved that perfume so much and still do Looking back on your whole career, if there's one lesson you've learned that's a kind of a piece of wisdom that you would pass on to someone who, for work, doesn't necessarily have to be specifically journalism, what's kind of that number one piece of advice that you've you've picked up? I mean, I, I would say that probably just generally, life generally, probably the biggest, the biggest thing I've learned that you could probably apply to work, certainly in your younger years, before you get old and old and wiser about it, but I think don't sweat the small stuff. Don't stress and worry too much about what is going on now. And I think don't react to things because I guarantee how you react to something like right now, whether it be in anger or hurt or 
in whatever way will not be how you feel about that in 24 hours. And I just honestly, if I could have known that when I was younger, to not be so impulsive or reactive, but to just, you know, I'm, I'm quite an emotional person, but I think maybe to just calm your farm a little bit more <laughs> and just be a little bit more measured. Youngest children, the twins are now in teen. And as you mentioned earlier, you're going to become a grandma, <laughs> grandmother, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever your preferred yeah. term is later this year. What are you most looking forward to in the next few years as 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 things things are changing look I guess they are I think obviously we're flying over for the birth so that will be the next chapter I guess and and how I'm going to feel as a grandma I don't know I'm delighted for it and you know I've always been you know very keen for it to happen so I think that will be great obviously it would be nice to see maybe Tyson get married and and then the twins you know being 19 and kind of forging their way in life and they've been a bit slow to kind of work out that what they want to do job wise and things like that Finn's got a girlfriend now I can see them kind of they're working their way in life and so I think I'll be really happy to see them you know maybe in a couple of years being a more solid kind of place with a with a career and and those kind of things and I guess it will be difficult for me because I've always grown up in such a busy household the idea of not having such a busy household Tyson lives largely with his his girlfriend but uh, her family I mean but I guess he'll probably buy he's hoped hopeful of buying a, a, an apartment in the next year so it'll just be the twins I can't see them moving out anytime like really soon because I think it's just so expensive so I guess they'll be around but I think maybe just, and also, you know, just with work, I, I, I'd like to think I'll be, you know, still doing what I'm doing now for a while yet, um, maybe writing that book once I get a little bit more time. And the children are constantly talking about me finding a partner and Finn's always worried about, now, what about when I do move out, Mum? I really want you to have someone. I don't want you to be lonely. You need to think about dating. <laughs> so I guess the amount of time that, the amount of time they're mentioning it to me, I guess I probably should think about that and focus on, as my sister said, going to a book club or something where I'm <laughs> might meet someone <laughs> but I think maybe yeah it would be nice to meet someone that you know I could just kind of have as a, a best friend and you know some share some things with and you know go to the movies with and things like that so that might be nice too hopefully fingers crossed so yeah there's a lot to look forward to you've talked us through the eight products that have a special memory or, or that you use often if you could pick just one of the ones that we've talked about to take with you to beauty island which one would you pick well it probably wouldn't be a makeup based product because although are other people on the island no it is just you on your own island. just me on my own mm. i'm leaning towards the eye drops <laughs> <laughs> i was wondering if that would make an appearance <laughs> yeah prob- practical <laughs> probably joe thank you so much for your time today it has been so lovely to chat to you and hear about your incredible life and career and and products that have a special memory for you so thank you very much no no thank you i've enjoyed it thanks for having me Thank you for listening to this episode of Beauty Island. If you like the sound of any products Joe mentioned, you can find links to them all in the show notes of this episode, as well as where to follow Joe on Instagram, and of course, where you can see the picture of that striking Effie Katz pinstripe suit she spoke about. You really have to see it to get the full picture. And if you fancy chatting more beauty, you can find me on Instagram at Beauty Island Podcast or my personal beauty account at Brittany Beauty BTS, or send me an email, beautyislandpodcast at gmail.com. If you didn't have a pen handy and you didn't write that down, no worries at all. 
you can also go to the show notes and you'll find all of my details. Thank you. And until next time, bye-bye.